What's that? Huh. Radio. What's going on with that radio? This is not a dream. What's happening to this place? Welcome to Now Playing Podcast's Silent Hill Retrospective Series. Part of Now Playing's video game movie review series. When you're hurt and scared for so long, your fear and pain turn to hate, and the hate starts to change the world. Hosted by Arnie. He was sent to take you back to Silent Hill, who is a member of the Order. Justin. Listen, ah, you may be able to hear the cries of his torment. And Stuart. Who are you to judge? We judge because the souls of history hang in the balance. Because our faith has never failed us. This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Go to hell! Can't you see? We're already here. Listener discretion is advised. I will pray for you, Rose, but I won't expect you and your friend to return. Discussing Silent Hill, starring Rada Mitchell, Sean Bean, Laurie Holden, Deborah Cara Unger, Kim Coates, Tanya Allen, with Alice Krieg and Joel Ferdinand, directed by Christoph Gans. Actually, the movie is pretty goddamn noisy, to be honest. It was cacophony. But this is the now playing co-host who's burning for you, Arnie. And Stuart. And this is Justin. Welcome back to the video game retrospective again. But here we are at a film and a video game series, both of which have a measure of respect among at least the gaming crowd. I noticed the Rotten Tomatoes score wasn't as kind to this movie as the gamers are, but Silent Hill, I actually remember this coming out back in 06. I thought it looked pretty good, pretty spooky. I didn't see it in theaters, but it was something I watched on video as a brand new release at home. Yeah, I remember seeing it, and I remember really liking the first half and having to turn it off and go do other things. It was one of those, you come back and I'm like, did someone switch the tape out? Like, it had just fallen apart so badly in the second half. I was like, oh, it just breaks your heart. You're like, oh, you could have been the ring three. Instead, you're... (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly the reaction that Marjorie and I both had. I remembered nothing coming back to this except three memories. One, ash falls from the sky. Two, a little girl is missing. Three it really falls apart at the middle and never recovers. (laughs) (laughs) Well, spoiler alert, this is my first time through, so I didn't know any of that stuff. I'm not even sure if it was on my radar back then when this came out, you know? It might have looked just like a generic horror movie that I wasn't even aware was tied to a video game series at that point. Do you know the video game? I thought I did, but after watching this and looking it up, I had always thought all these years that Silent Hill was a game that I now know is called Fatal Frame where you're walking through a haunted house looking for clues and taking pictures. So, yeah, this is a completely different franchise. Silent Hill is one of those games that, again, I'd heard about, I was interested in, 
And when this movie came out in 06, I cannot count how many cosplayers I'd already seen in my four years of convention going as Pyramid Head. Yes, that's where I recognize him. And really, not very easy to navigate the hallways in that pyramid head. I feel bad for all of them, but that's what I knew it from. I'd never played the games, though. I just, again, I've mentioned it many times on this video game series. I was more into computer gaming, into the new millennium, and Silent Hill started in 99. It's big hits came out in the early 2000s, early games on the PlayStation 2, and... I just never paid any attention. Yeah, it's the kind of game that would make me wish I had a PlayStation. It's my ideal kind of game. It's a horror, atmospheric walkthrough, lots of cutscenes, lots of different paths that you can navigate. You're figuring out puzzles. Occasionally you're shooting. I think it's a big difference from Resident Evil, even though I think it was invented for Konami to compete with Resident Evil. But what's to me, more pleasurable about it is it's much more slow-paced, more atmospheric, and it's not a shooter. It in no way feels like Resident Evil, Doom, or any of that stuff. I went and played it. I have played the first two games now to completion. And the first one was for the PS1. And surprisingly, for a video game series of this notoriety, usually you see remakes and they're like, okay, now it's Silent Hill 1 Remastered for the PlayStation 4 and all of that. All I could find is it would only play on a PlayStation 3, but it had the PS1 graphics, the PS1 audio, and it was okay. Here's the one thing that I'll note about it is it took a negative and used it as a positive. The PlayStation 1 did not have great graphics processing power. And so this versus Resident Evil, this was a completely 3D game. It was really cutting edge. Now you play a game and you're used to having the 3D ability where you can just walk in every direction. But back then you look at Resident Evil, those old ones, and it always had the fixed camera. It always felt like you were watching it from security camera footage back then. This made a huge leap forward in 3D, but because it couldn't process very much, they had this great idea, let's make it foggy. And so you can't actually see very far, so we don't have to overtax the CPU. And that really gave it an atmosphere because you can't see all that far in front of you. You don't know when a zombie dog is going to attack or some mutant child with a knife. And I definitely got a Resident Evil vibe off of the first Silent Hill because did I just mention zombie dogs? There's quite a few of them. <laughs> And much like Resident Evil, the game's what you made it. I mean, I was shooting a lot of stuff because I prefer shooter games. And so if a zombie dog's attacking me, I want to shoot that motherfucker in the eyes. I don't want to run. But it is survival horror. It's not a killer. And yeah, I did learn the hard way. The best strategy sometimes is just to outrun the dog in the dark and save your ammo for the big ones. <laughs> In adapting this, they did take a whole lot from both the first two games. They got the pyramid head from the second game, but the storyline they get from that first 1999 game. It's almost identical. They replaced the main character from that game, Harry Mason, and now here it's Rose instead of Harry. But yeah, it is so similar that I was kind of shocked. And I'm wondering if they did that because Rada Mitchell looked a whole lot like Naomi Watts and the ring had already hit. The remake was very big and the setup is very, very similar to it. The only credited screenwriter is Roger Avery. It was then rewritten by Christoph Gans, the director, and 
Nicholas Bucriff, who I don't know, but they actually wanted to change to a woman, they said, because they saw Harry as a very feminine character. He's not very aggressive. The thing Silent Hill intentionally brought to the table against Resident Evil, Resident Evil, you're always playing one of those stars people. You're playing a military or pseudo-military person who's trained. They wanted you to be an everyman. Your aim sucks in the game. Even if you're good at gaming, the character cannot aim. If you run, and let's face it, it gets boring to walk around a map all the time. I'm always in favor of having every character in every game run. In this game, if you run, your character's not really that fit. He gets out of breath and has to like stop and go... <gasps> <laughs> But essentially, he is just looking for his daughter in the game then, right? Yeah. Okay. As this movie, you're on vacation with your daughter, Cheryl, not Sharon. But yeah, a phantom girl appears in the road. You swerve, you crash, you wake up in this foggy town, and you got to go around and find her. And of course, I'm thinking about this as a human adult. My child is missing. I must drop everything and find my child. In the game, my child is missing. I must find three keys in the house with the doghouse in the front, and I must use the three keys to unlock this, and then I must search for the medallion that I put in the clock tower, and then I must play the piano keys in the right order. Wait, where's my fucking kid? (laughs) (laughs) It is mostly a puzzle game, and I will not lie, I'm not a fan of puzzle games, especially when there's this stupid-ass riddle. First flew the greedy pelican, eager for the reward, white wings flailing. Then came a silent dove, flying beyond the pelican as far as he could. A raven flies in, flying higher than the dove, just to show he can. A swan glides in to find a peaceful spot next to another bird. Finally, out comes a crow, coming quickly to a stop, yawning and then napping. Who will show the way? Who will be the key? Yeah, this is supposed to be something I can discern into piano notes. (laughs) (laughs) Where the swan and the pelican and the dove are the white keys and the raven and the crow are the black keys. And it tells me the order. I'm not that kind of gamer. Seventh guest is about as far as I got. Mist, I hate mist. So I did play this game and I fought the bosses and had all that fun myself and I found my way around the maps but every time there was a stupid ass puzzle all right where's that walkthrough (laughs) I had a deadline to meet to play these games and I thought it was good I didn't think it was great and you mentioned the character's name Cheryl the first game has a better development story than it has an actual game picture if you will the breakfast club of game designers Konami had a whole bunch of losers that every single person on the team was like, they're going to fire me today. I mean, imagine if all of them are Samir not going to work here anymore from Office Space and Michael (laughs) coming into work at Konami. And Konami's like, I don't know why they didn't fire them, but they're like, you, who has never led a team before, you're in charge. And you are now the silent team, which I wonder if there's a double meaning there, like, shut the fuck up, guys. Yeah. (laughs) 
I suspect that. Go make this game. Make Resident Evil is what they really were told. Just go rip off this thing that's really popular right now. And it sounds like they did to a point, but then because they're quirky and weird and dorky, it ended up having its own character and flavor. And it was to its betterment that it was made by outsiders. They really specifically looked at things that it really felt in now playing's wheelhouse. I mean, you mentioned the original daughter was named Cheryl. Now that's with a C, but it was named after Cheryl Lee. They wanted Twin Peaks and they wanted Dario Argento. They actually had a character in here named Asia and another character that was whatever Dario Argento's mother's name is. And then when translating it for the U.S., the people at Konami were like, those are too unusual of names. We're going to use more common names. But there's Lovecraft Street and there's Bradbury Street and there's even Bachman Street. They're trying to go for Stephen King. They're trying to go for David Lynch and even the music. It's weird because they hired this guy to do the score and nobody ever told him, hey, we're doing a David Lynch thing. And this guy just saw the game and was like, I decided I wanted to try to do an Angelo Badalamenti type score. It all came together to be this moderate hit i mean it had about a five million dollar budget it made money it's you know about doubled its budget and then now the silent team was motivated and you know you gave them a little bit of success they came back hard with silent hill 2 which is a almost completely unrelated game no characters return pyramid head who is the icon of the silent hill series well much like jason didn't get his hockey mask till part three pyramid head didn't show up until part two and then you couldn't keep that son of a bitch out of the games the comics the novels the movies yes there's a lot of tie-ins silent hill is a universe each of the games has its own novelizations and things which is helpful because the games also have many endings. I especially liked the ending of part one where it turned out it was all a game played by a smart dog with a computer. And like after you beat the game, you just walk in and there's a dog like I was fucking with you this whole time. <laughs> and the guy's like, it was you. <laughs> <laughs> but Silent Hill 2 is where suddenly I get it. I get what people liked about the game. That thing had atmosphere to spare, and it has, I'm not going to say if I'm recommending or not recommending this week's and next week's movies, but Silent Hill 2, the game, if you were to just take those cutscenes and splice them together, you have a better and more well-acted and more dramatic and emotional movie than you have in a Silent Hill film. They kind of screwed up on my mind by adapting Silent Hill 1 for this, because Silent Hill 2 is where it's at. Well, presumably they can make it when they make all of the sequels, and we'll get a sequel for Silent Hill next week. But they're starting with the source material, and I believe that this director was a fan of the game. It sounds like a cinematic game that a cinematic mind wanted to bring to a larger audience. I've seen Christoph Gans' big film, Brotherhood of the Wolf. It was an intriguing genre mashup. It's French, it's set in Napoleonic era, and there's like a... Well, they think it's just a beast, but it ends up being a werewolf killing people in the countryside. It's not unlike American Werewolf in London, only it's in France. So it's an American Werewolf in Paris? I've seen that film. It's not that, for sure. <laughs> it's got its own flavor. I can't say I loved it, but I thought it was really unique, and you would want to see more from a, a mind that created such a film. So I can understand why they give this guy a whole lot of money. This movie had $60 million, I believe, for the budget, and that is... For a horror movie, I mean, you're rolling in Clover. 
it was his passion. What I've learned between this and Super Mario Brothers and Street Fighter is so many times the people who get awarded the movie rights to these games are the ones who want it and like spend their own money to fly to Japan. Well, apparently, Gans tried for five years to get Konami to give him the rights to this film. And finally, he sent a video interview to them explaining how he wanted to adapt it and how important the games are to him personally. And so they finally gave him the rights in 04. So I guess he really loved that first game, as according to the stories he tells, before there was a Silent Hill 2, he was already wanting to make Silent Hill 1 the movie. He got the rights in 04, got Pulp Fiction co-writer Roger Avery to sit down with him and write what they planned to be the first in a series of Silent Hill films. Yeah, Pulp Fiction, that admittedly, Roger Avery's involvement in Pulp Fiction has probably been exaggerated over time, but I don't know why you would get that guy for a project like this. Interesting choice, but sure, it sounds really unique. You got $50 million, all of a sudden you're like, you mean I could get the Oscar winner to co-write this? Let's do that. Yeah, having too much money might have been part of that as well. <laughs> well, Arnie, you played all the games. Let's get into this movie. Give us a plot. Rada Mitchell and Sean Bean respectively play Rose and Christopher De Silva, a married couple with adoptive daughter Sharon, not Cheryl, but Sharon, in the most needless change ever to occur, played by Jodell Furland. Sharon has repeated nightmares and sleepwalking episodes, and in her nightmares she shouts out, Silent Hill! Oh boy. And home! <laughs> Wonder where she's from. Sharon, phone home! Silent Hill! Thanks to Google, Rose realizes Silent Hill is a small town and decides to take Sharon there, despite Christopher's objections. As she drives into the town, she sees a small girl cross the road. She swerves to miss the girl and loses control of her car. And when she wakes up, Sharon is missing. Rose goes into the town of Silent Hill, which is deserted. A coal mine fire ruined the town 30 years ago, and ash still falls like snow in the town. Rose is met by motorcycle cop Sybil Bennett, played by Lori Holden, who tries to arrest Rose. But Rose escapes the cop and goes to the school looking for Sharon. Well, despite looking like a ghost town, Silent Hill is actually kind of populated by this whole big cult led by Christabella, played by Alice Krieg. This cult believes in witches and burns them when they're found. And one such witch was Alessa Gillespie, a very young girl whose mother Dahlia, played by Deborah Kara Unger, gave her up for sacrifice. Christabella and her people started to burn Alyssa, but Dahlia stopped them at the last minute, and the rescue of the burning girl is what caused the coal mines to be set on fire 30 years ago. Alyssa survived the fire, but was full of rage and third-degree burns. So her anger became burned Alessa, while her remaining goodness became a baby, Sharon, which is who Rose adopted. Ouch. The brain is just hurting. But okay. <laughs> sure. Wish I could do that. Could I just, like, create Evil Stewart to go watch the rest of Uva Bowl films? I'm pretty sure it is Evil Stewart that's watching the rest of Uva Bowl films. <laughs> well, the two girls reunited, Alyssa and Sharon, become one girl again and use razor wire to kill all the cultists. Not, like, by hand, but it, like, flies around magically. Yeah, more, more of an old-fashioned barbed wire, not even razor wire. But now Rose tries to go home with Alyssa, 
But it turns out they've been in an alternate dimension the entire time. They're back at their house, but Christopher can't see them. He only sees that the front door's been left open as credits roll. One of the things that becomes immediately obvious about this film is how well it's been photographed. I can't believe when this camera starts moving, chasing after a sleepwalking girl. I mean, we've all seen this movie before. Like, okay, maybe a little flip around a corner or something. Incredible camera work running through a forest, through the underpass, leading up to a beautiful waterfall. Awesome, awesome imagery. Canada. It's a great tourism shot here. Come for the waterfalls, the lush grass, the trucks that almost hit you as you cross the street. <laughs> yeah, but it's also Dan Lawson who just won for Shape of Water and John Wick 2 he's made. I mean, he's he's a very acclaimed cinematographer and he does a great job here. I completely agree with you, Stuart. Having not seen this movie previous to this, sitting down, I wasn't sure what I was getting into. And the look of this gave me lots of hope. Like, oh, this could be a legit movie all the way through so i'm sitting down i'm eating my popcorn and i'm ready to go i love that you literally ate popcorn at a popcorn movie <laughs> hey you gotta do what you gotta do but the first thing to hit me is wow are these the shittiest parents in the world i mean they make it clear that this has happened many times so they have yet to come up with any sort of plan to like sleep in shifts or put some internal locks on the house so this kid doesn't go sleepwalking across an interstate every night. Leash. Something. Pet crate. <laughs> yeah, Rose is going to come up with, well, she says Silent Hill, I found this town in West Virginia, we'll drive there. I got a better idea. How about a latch? You know, like, <laughs> that's all you got to do. Just lock the door and it really won't matter where she wants to go. One thing that I never knew until researching this film was, do you guys know what Sean Bean is famous for? Dying in the most movies ever. That is actually, yes, that is it. <laughs> it's like this big thing that Sean Bean dies always. There are like montages of him dying hundreds of times. Huh. And so I see Sean Bean cross at the street. I think he's going to be knocked out almost immediately by that truck. <laughs> I'm aware of that meme, too, you know, because I know Sean Bean from Game of Thrones. He was one of the main characters early on. And died. And died. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where that meme kind of got some feet. And I, I'm right there with you, aren't I? I'm like, oh, boy, here we go. Sean Bean's a goner. He wasn't even supposed to be in the movie as much as he was. They finished the script, and basically the husband was left here at the beginning. And they sent it to the studio, and the studio's like... We're not making this movie. The movie has no men in it. <laughs> so they went back and added all of Sean Bean's subplots. But he really does look like one of the most ineffectual, worst adoptive fathers ever from, yeah, he's saying that we need to medicate her. And I don't know how their marriage is, but a marriage can't be that great if the conversation goes, I want to take our daughter to this weird town. No, I won't. I'm going to sneak away with the daughter. Well, I'm going to turn off your credit cards. <laughs> That's a pretty dick move. <laughs> Which raises an issue for me right away because they stopped to get gas. They couldn't get gas. They continue on. Did you notice where they stop? They stop at like this gas station diner, right? Yep. But yet there's this giant blue neon sign that says tattoos and body piercings. <laughs> so it's a tattoo body art gas station diner full of old people. <laughs> hey, that doesn't sound like such an uncommon mix. There are some weird way stations in America. I've stopped at a few where they, yeah, you could get a lot of things done all at once. Hey, I'm cross country. I need some gas and a Prince Albert. <laughs> Have you ever been to Shucky's? It sounds very much like Shucky's in the, in the <laughs> South. 
<laughs> but I'm just wondering, you know, they made such a big deal about her not having money and whatnot, and they never take care of the gas situation. She drives all the way home on that one tank of gas. She found out she couldn't pay after she filled the car up. I didn't think somebody was going to come out there and siphon the gas back out to repo it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I suppose you're right. She did fill up first. I guess I was distracted by the fact that, once again shitty parenting she's gonna leave her daughter in the car and walk inside out of view for a good five minutes <laughs> so <laughs> well she may never have driven much further i mean i will discuss whether she ever goes much further she is looking for the town of silent hill west virginia and this is the neighboring town that if you freeze frame the web information that she had been scouting, you can read. It's all there. Someone took the time to write it. This is where everyone was evacuated after the fire in 1974. There was a big coal fire and everyone that survived, and there were hundreds that died, but the survivors now live in this town. So she's close. She wants to know how to get to the final destination. They still have signs up conveniently, helpfully pointing the way, but it's not a town that you can get to anymore. They've just decided to close off the roads and let it burn. The cop who saw this lady and her daughter suspiciously leaving a gas station catches up with them on their way to Silent Hill, pulls them over, and <laughs> Rose decides to just gun it and take off. This cop, Sybil Bennett, motorcycle cop, is played by Lauren Holden, but I swear to God, I probably thought it was Lauren Holly the first time I saw this movie. There is quite the resemblance there with the picket fences actress. In addition, when she's wearing the glasses and the leather pants and the helmet, she's really trying to pull off a Robert Patrick T2 look, I think. <laughs> yeah, in a sexy way, for sure. You mean Robert Patrick isn't sexy? <laughs> well, you know, not quite as curvy as Lori Holden, but... That, you know, she played Laura on The Walking Dead for a good chunk of seasons there. So I'm just happy to recognize people here. Yeah, I recognized her in retrospect. When I saw this movie in 07, Walking Dead wasn't yet on, and I had no clue who she was, and I thought she was Lauren Holly, and I thought Lauren Holly was looking pretty good for her age. And we'll find out with this character is that since nobody can go to Silent Hill, since the roads are cut off and it's just kind of a forgotten place, there was a serial killer that tried to dump a body in a coal mine shaft there. She was the one that found that child. That is really something downplayed is the police role in all of this. You know, we're going to very soon after get Sean Bean's lazily inserted subplot of going after her and running into Officer Gucci, who is not as fancy as he sounds. <laughs> and Gucci was also involved in helping save Alyssa back then. Things get confusing in this movie am i the only one who thinks that like the more characters they introduce and for a lot of this movie there's really only one or two characters mostly rose but the more they introduce the less cohesive this film feels i think this opening's great I think everything about this opening is atmospheric, incredibly gripping, and totally pulls me in. I don't find anything here in the beginning confusing at all. I find no, it no. completely captivating. Yeah, I don't find it confusing here either. I said as they introduce more people, once they get into Silent Hill, and when we're trying to discuss how these people all relate and how they interact, 
it fucking loses me. Yes, this opening, I did wonder, could this be the best video game movie we've ever reviewed based upon how it actually came off as competent horror here in the beginning? It really does look good. The aerial shot where you get to see the car and the headlights as they turn off to Silent Hill. I love the look of Silent Hill. The fact that it is kind of quiet there, you know, fitting the name that they've reproduced the game in so many aspects you hear like air raid sirens off in the background or emergency sirens from the fire that happened and the ash that comes down it looks great it has atmosphere so far i would still think that perhaps the best video game movie we've done is one of the resident evils and here this is certainly a lot classier than anything paul ws anderson's ever touched yeah fun fact Silent Hill is actually based on a real American town. Centralia, Pennsylvania did have a garbage fire that got into the coal <laughs> mines and they've never been able to put it out. To this day, it burns. You could go to the website and they brag about, well, this is the basis of Silent Hill because our trash is still burning 70 years later. Great. But it does. There's something so beautiful that after this accident, I mean, it does feel like a dream. Is she having a nightmare or is she waking up into some alternate reality? But there's an otherworldly feel to the fact that they were driving around clearly not during the winter time and all of a sudden everything is covered in white and it's so quiet and yeah you're just sucked in now you'll quickly find out she'll rub her fingers together it is ash it is the burning of the coal it is not snow but there is a sleepy town vibe that is in direct contrast to everything we've seen up to this point I have to agree. The visual transition between real world and moving us into the supernatural world was done very well. And that's not something that's easy to do. I mean, we see it a lot in other movies and it feels jarring or it feels kind of hokey. This was done so well because we're in the car along for the chase and she sees something that we can't quite make out. It's a girl and she spins out and then she comes to and you're right. The atmosphere has changed. Everything's a little desaturated and not as bright as it just was the ash falling. I'm down for this. I'm being pulled into this silent hill world. Yeah. Her daughter's missing. She doesn't have the luxury of being able to turn around and leave. And so, you know, normally in these kinds of things, people have to act stupid. Children of the corn, you know, let's just walk around and see if we can find some people. Why isn't anyone here? That's not the case here. She's got to find her daughter. Her daughter has some kind of connection here. Her daughter was sleeping in the back seat and maybe sleepwalking. One of them is asleep. And all of this, yeah, it does just create this dream nightmare quality that is so entrancing. It's really scary. But you guys thought what I thought, right? Like, this is a ghost town. Nobody's in this town. All we're going to see in this town, literally, it's a ghost town. We will only see ghosts. She's going to encounter a couple of people in here. But other than the cop that followed her in. Who is from the game. Yes. It was in Silent Hill won the video game. Yeah. But is so poorly acted by Lori Holden. I didn't think Sybil was a ghost, but I also didn't think Sybil was from any reality I've ever been in. But everybody else she's going to encounter eventually, and it's a long time where it's basically her in this eerie atmosphere, which is wonderful. I soaked it up. But when people finally start appearing again, I think they're all ghosts. Yeah, we'll see early on Rose is walking around. Her first encounters are with apparitions. 
She will be following a little girl, the same one that probably walked out in front of their vehicle and caused the crash, leading her down into what appears to be a bomb shelter as the air raids are going off. And before you know it, she's being swarmed by small children that end up burning into ash. It tells you right away, this is a haunted place. And that was also very frightening. Yeah, those ash babies kind of reminded me of the aliens from Galaxy Quest. A little bit. Miners, not miners. <laughs> but yeah, it's after that incident, we black out with her or the town goes dark. I'm not really sure at this point what's happening. If she's having blackouts or darkness is coming, this hasn't been explained yet. In the game, this is how the game starts is you spin out, you're in the game, you actually have to go chasing after where you think your daughter is. You're found by these cherubic evil child things with knives they kill you in the game which makes you wonder how much of this is all happening is it all like a jacob's ladder thing but then after they successfully kill you you wake up in a diner with the cop sybil who's then like oh i rescued you at the last minute and that's kind of what i thought they were recreating here with that blackout is we wonder after those children get her is that when she's suddenly in this alternate reality we're going to find out at the end that she is not in the same dimension or reality or something as the rest of us? Right. Can she come back? She'll take a walk and see, and the road that she got here on has been demolished. It is now replaced by a giant cliff face, and there is just no way to leave now that she is here. And we'll see that her husband comes to the real Silent Hill with and drives around with the cops, we know that he's experiencing it as it really is. She's gone into another dimension. She's gone into, you can call it a ghost dimension. Whatever it is, she's entered a fantastical realm, and we're not sure she'll ever be able to return. So I, I at least think they're not belaboring it. Sometimes, you know, they'll wait the whole movie to tell you, oh, it was a ghost. Here, we're not under the delusion that Rose is, that she's in a normal play. But you already name-dropped the ring, the grudge, the fact that, this is based off of a Japanese video game, does feel like an Americanized version of that. And yeah, you lead with the fact that you're dealing with probably a dead girl. And then the question becomes, who is the girl? What does the girl want? How do you quell the spirit? And what does this all have to do with Sharon? Right, so in very much a video game style, we find ourselves wandering, not necessarily aimlessly, but not necessarily with a goal in mind through old hallways and upstairs with noises in the distance. So you never get this feeling that you're alone. You know, there's a, a nice ominous creepiness to the ambiance in the background this whole time. There's so much in this movie that feels taken exactly out of the game. I mean, she literally will go into places and pick up keys and pick up flashlights. And like a video game, you go, you add to your inventory, and you must use it later. When I first saw this movie, I had never played Silent Hill, but I noticed game mechanics being enacted before me. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think that's exciting for people that love the game to see how much attention has been paid to the way it feels to play the game. If you're here more for a horror movie, maybe this movie feels like it takes too long. I like Twin Peaks. I like lingering in the atmosphere. This is paced to my satisfaction. I have no problem with the fact that it does feel like 
Yeah, they don't have a clear goal on how they're going to get to Sharon. They're just going to wander from place to place and find arbitrary clues, like bricks with partial words written on them in the mouths of dead people, and have to figure out where that is to find the next MacGuffin. But it's a breadcrumb trail that leads to some pretty random places. The one thing that undercuts this for me, though, is the CGI ghost creatures. It's 2006. It's a 50, 60 million dollar film. When you see the burning children and things and they just turn into ash, it is a cool design that they don't have the tech or the money to realize in a frightening manner. And nothing undercuts horror more in my mind than an obvious, it's not really their CGI creation. I can agree with you, but at the same time, if the atmosphere is doing its job and we're not quite sure if we're in some sort of dream state, a lot of that can be written off as just not knowing what we're looking at. But yeah, reality is the technology is not quite there for these effects and that can pull you out of it. Not me. I mean, I loved it. I thought all the creatures looked great. When the cop finally catches up with her and she's trying to arrest her and then you just, you hear it first and then you see the silhouette of this like wobbling like a weeble. You guys remember weebles? Yeah, they <laughs> weeble and they wobble, but they won't fall down. Yeah, they don't have arms. And this thing is, I think it's pissing acid or blood or something. Something is leaking between where the genitalia would be that you would expect it to be going to the bathroom. And yeah, I find all of this stuff. I mean, it feels like finally someone gave a lot of money to Clyde Barker. These feel like Cenobites, creatures that we've seen in horror movies, edgy horror movies, where they didn't have enough money. How nice that they finally look alive. I find the character design to be rather dull. The one thing that hit me when coming back to this is it's just coincidence, but I was, you know, at San Diego and New York Comic Con recently, and I literally had the thought to myself, I haven't seen that pyramid head dude in a while. What game is he from? And I really couldn't tell what game he was from. I'm like, was he in the Resident Evil movies? Was he the one at the gate trying to break down the door in part four when they're all trying to escape on the helicopter to get to the aircraft carrier? Or what was that pyramid-headed guy from? And we were talking about Venom just a couple weeks ago and thinking about the tentacles that lashed out from Venom's hand. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of like how Nemesis in Resident Evil shot out his stuff. And in the end, I feel that around the turn of the millennium, and maybe it's heavily influenced by Cenobites, that's when the Tortured Souls toy line was coming out too, but Resident Evil, Silent Hill, Quake, all of these monsters doomed to a degree feel like they all just come from central casting of monsters you know like they're the day laborer monsters and any design could go into any of these properties what i couldn't disagree with you more strongly these are better monsters than i've seen in most horror films of this time I can agree with both of you. I think somebody like Pyramid Head could be taken out and placed in almost any video game series, any scary movie, and stand out as that character. And he's great. I mean, like, can we agree? It's What's striking about it is you have a body, a human physiology that feels very organic, and then you have something very geometric 
as its pinnacle. That is such a weird juxtaposition to see a triangle atop a human body. The two forms would never organically meet. It just feels inscrutable and fantastic that we have this character. Right. And I think the other thing that Silent Hill does well from a monster design point is the twisted, faceless human bodies. That's something that I will, after seeing these movies, will always associate with Silent Hill, and I'm sure they're directly from the games. Yeah, Resident Evil, they were just central casting zombies. They weren't distinctive. And the other thing, if this were a Resident Evil movie, all of a sudden, Rose would be finding two guns and doing ninja flips. I'm not saying this movie's interchangeable with Resident Evil at all. I'm saying that take away the zombies. Think about the monsters of Resident Evil that it got more into. We got away from zombies and got more into things like Nemesis and all of that. That's what I'm saying is just these designs here. I'm not saying the movies feel the same at all. They do not. But the creatures, I wouldn't be surprised if Nemesis walked onto the set here versus being on the set of Resident Evil. They all copied Joel Peter Witkin. They go watch his photography stuff, and that's where Trent Reznor started copying him in his music videos. That's where Hellraiser got its ideas. I mean, there's an artistic fountainhead where all of this stuff flows from. I'm saying I've not seen it in a major motion picture done this well on this type of budget. And that's exciting to me. And so it's carrying the mood for a lot of this. I don't have any sense about when the plot will kick in or how close we are to finding Sharon, but I don't really need to because I just love to see the surprises around the corner. I guess what I'll say on this to kind of finally tie up the stylized talk of the movie, but what it is missing is... It has a signature bad character that you can keep out there as an iconic thing. And then you have these twisted human faceless bodies as another thing, faceless nurses. And that's about where the style sheet ends. Beyond that, there is some rote stuff. There's some stuff that does just look like something you might see at a haunted house at Halloween time. Somebody ripped some shirts, threw some blood on them, and there you go. It's a costume. So the things that it does well... It does a very good job of doing, and then it, I feel like it just kind of drops off a cliff and doesn't really care for a lot of the background stuff. Well, all these apparitions are reflections of people that used to live in Silent Hill before the town burned down in 1974. And it's when we start seeing this backstory that we begin to make corollaries. We think about those burning children because then when we finally have Rose reach a elementary school, she finds enough evidence to have a flashback. It's convenient. But we see that those kids bullied someone that looks a lot like her child, Sharon. And so as we're putting this mystery together, we realize those kids are burning because they fucked with Carrie, right? I mean, all of these people are living in a limbo, burning in a their own hell because they were mean to this one little girl. Yeah, I guess my question is really trying to figure out how all of this came together. Like, these kids burned up, and they told us initially it's because of a coal mine. And I couldn't remember how much this tied into the game when I was watching it and how closely it's actually copying stuff from the game. But in the game, there's never a mention of the coal mines. There's just weird snow. It's actually snowing out of season. It's not ash falling. I think that's something they actually improved upon was this coal mine thing. But I thought what we were seeing were apparitions from the coal mine. And we would find out 
maybe a greedy person caused the coal mine fire or what have you. But when you all take what we know at the end into account, that what happened is they burned a girl and the girl was saved and the fire went out of control. When you see these burning children and all this stuff at the school, it just makes me wonder, I know we're supposed to be weirded out, but are these good spirits? Are these bad spirits? I'm liking the atmosphere at this point in the movie, it's raising questions. That's a good thing. The bad thing is this movie is never going to adequately answer those questions. All right, so let's play the speculation game, because I think you're right. The movie loses its strength, and it comes in, in my mind, in a very strong position, but it starts to wobble like some of these creatures once it has to tell us what's going on. Now, we meet early on, wandering around, Rose runs into this woman who looks like a bag lady, we'll end up finding out that this is Dahlia Gillespie. She is the mother of Alessa Gillespie, who is the ghost girl in question. My first question is, who knocked her up? It seems to me like the reason why the town bullied little Alessa was because Dahlia hooked up with someone they believed to be evil, darkness, something bad. Ooh, see, I feel like you might have read that into it. I was just taking it that these Puritans did not like the idea of a single mother raising a child. That's how I took it as well, as it was specifically a single mother thing. And I did wonder who the dad was. I thought it would be revealed. It never is. Is it Gucci? I mean, he's going to come to help save Alyssa. No, he was away at college. If you read those newspaper clippings, I read all about where he was. Yeah, he was still like a college kid at this time and wasn't around. But in order to have fathered that kid, he would have been 10 years old. (laughs) I have no idea who the daddy is. (laughs) Yeah, well, again, I think that begs a question. These town people believe that she hooked up with something evil And so that's going to change it, whether you believe that Dahlia did or not. I mean, maybe they didn't burn Alyssa enough. Maybe the problem is they burned a little girl and they got what was coming to them. Or maybe they should have just brought more matches. And I support their cause because if women are procreating and creating devil babies, you don't want to have that attending your school. I can understand (laughs) why you would bully that. But the next confusing thing is it's implied that this child was sexually assaulted by Colin, the janitor at the school. Rose will eventually make her way up to this bathroom stall and we'll see a guy that's been crucified, tied up in barbed wire, artistically contorted in a way that seems like I'm going to punish you for what you did. Colin couldn't be the father of Alyssa, right? He sexually assaulted Alyssa. That's how I took it. And that wasn't at the behest of the rest of the town that wants to burn Alyssa. Like, yeah, we just want to throw her in a pit of coals. How dare you sexually assault her? It's two different factions, both that have something out against this child, but they're not in cahoots. That's how I took it as well, is this is just some creepy janitor dude who's not working with or for the rest of the town. Okay, yeah. So that seems like an element you lose. Like, you don't lose it because, wow, it looks really cool here, and when it comes to life, that's really fascinating. I mean, I love contortionist and seeing all of that. When it's walking around on its hands, really cool, I get it. But I also think you have to make choices, and this movie is long. It's over two hours long, and there's plenty of room here to make judicious editorial choices and focus on the things that are going to strengthen the mystery, if that's what you want people to pay attention to. I would actually argue you want to confuse people because once we start to get at the center of this mystery, it's just not that compelling. My feeling is that this director 
was very much in love with the visuals from the game and the monsters and loved it so much. He's like, but I want to include this and I want to include this and I want to include this. I want to include where the janitor starts shedding his skin and becomes a monster. And then the whole room burns around him and everything. What does it have to do with the story? Uh, he molested the girl, so that's good enough. He has too many toys in the toy box and yet doesn't quite know the rules of the game. Yeah, with this being over two hours, there is stuff that needs to be cut. And I can live without this scene. I can see why they would do it for the cool atmosphere, the bathroom with the stalls and everything. But I also think that maybe there is a little bit of a story element in there. Because at this point, we think that Alessa is the main villain, the main bad guy here. And this kind of paints it as, oh, well, she might be a sympathetic character. Something happened to her that maybe drove her to being bad. So at that very base level, there could be something there. I never thought Alessa was bad, at least not in the first half of this movie. I thought that she might be under the control of something evil. She might be possessed or something. The fact that she's not running towards her mother, but always running away, we assume for much of it that this is Sharon under the control, possessed in some way. And then we'll end up finding it's much more confusingly <laughs> split in half in a way that makes absolutely no physical sense to me. But uh, let's table that till later. This is around the same time once the janitor comes alive and Rose has yet another run through dark hallways where we do come face to face with Pyramid Head. He's dragging that sword. He's swinging it through here. I think this is a really compelling scene. I think this is really great. It hooks you when you don't understand. It doesn't matter because you are so captivated by how frightening everything is in this realm. I would call this the last great scene of the movie when Pyramid Head is reaching in and stabbing through and trying to reach his hand in and grab at the people in there. After I played Silent Hill 2, I appreciated Pyramid Head a lot more as a character the way he was used in that game. In that game, I don't want to spoil it. I actually think everybody should go out and play Silent Hill 2 without knowing much. But in that game, Pyramid Head is an avatar for a person's own guilt and punishment. Right. Yeah, I assume he does, the reason why he doesn't have a face is because we're not to know he represents a character in the storyline. Yeah, and at no point do they take off Pyramid Head's face in game or movie and go, oh my God, you're so-and-so. Mm -hmm. And so in the way he's used in the movie, Pyramid Head is nothing but an awesome character design for a monster who's not actually going to do all that much. And I'm not even clear if it's just one pyramid head or multiple. I mean, it seems like he keeps popping up or they keep popping up. Well, what I would say is he's dragging this phallic sword around. There's a question about who Dahlia slept with and maybe there's something evil. I'm assuming he is the original evil. I'm assuming that he is the thing that has been plaguing this town for centuries that they've always been fighting and that he is the father of Alyssa and Sharon. But that doesn't really play out in the rest of this story. And he doesn't do a whole lot more in the rest of the story either. I would have expected him to be, and again, I'm going back to Resident Evil Nemesis, the way Nemesis popped up throughout the movie or the game. And then at the end, you really had to defeat Nemesis. It was the final thing. Here, Pyramid Head's going to show up a couple of times and he's just there because he looks cool. 
Yeah, which is enough. I mean, I've definitely recommended movies where it just looked cool and that's all that there was. Constantine wasn't a good movie, but I just kind of enjoyed the atmosphere. That's kind of the vibe I'm getting here. And for that matter, that's kind of how I even the best Resident Evil movies kind of worked for me. They just create images and they emulate gameplay. And that's what we're here to study is what do the movies take from the game and how do they dramatize it? And I do think that they make it feel very much like gameplay and the problems are when it's time to wrap that up and tell a story. That's exactly the point we find ourselves at now. We're going to start meeting these Puritans and realize there's more going on in this town than just random hauntings and random strange creatures running around for no reason. There's a group of Puritans and they're up to something. And the first one that we really get much time with is this Dahlia. And she's got kind of crazy hair, and she's really quiet and mousy. Did either of you think she was real? Because I'm like, okay, this is obviously a ghost of some sort, some kind of spirit. As far as anything at this point, these are real people. These are people who can and eventually will be killed. But I thought they were all incarnations of spirits of people who died in the coal fire. Well, we can talk about that later, but for the purpose of where we are in the movie, she is different than the things that we've seen up to this point in the town, in that she is human-looking. And she's a castaway, that we will find her at the Grand Hotel being pelted by rocks by Anna, who is living in the church and bragging about how much she loves Christabella, her mother. And so we get the sense that we know Dahlia, again, mothered this phantom child we know that child was bullied and it seems like her mother is getting the same treatment my questions always revolve around well was it deserved did they do something to deserve this ostracization or is this a really mean town i gotta say when you have witch hunters history has told us those people were in the wrong like when you talk about a witch hunt you're talking about persecution for wrong means i mean no one's ever like no we got real witches and we saved this town no that's not <laughs> what witch hunting means it means that you misdiagnosed and overreacted and did something horrible in the name of righteousness and so i'm just not inclined to like or care much about the rest of the town as we start to meet them starting with anna in this hotel yeah, and we quickly learn that they're not to be trusted either because we see the goons, the guys dressed in the mining gear, beat the living hell out of Sybil. I would have sworn she was dead at that point. I mean, you heard some guttural oozing and maybe her skull cracking because it was off screen. But yeah, apparently she didn't die from that. Yeah, they have been floating around in the background carrying canaries. And because they wear gas masks, I presume that maybe there's something with this fog. Maybe it's chemical. Maybe... It's unhealthy, and they know something that Rose and Sybil don't know. And I thought maybe, again, ghosts from the past. These were guys who burned up in the fire, hence why they have the canary, because you'd have the canary in the coal mine. And when they wear masks like that, they feel like perfect bad guys from a video game, right? Anytime you wear a mask, that means you don't have to draw extra faces. <laughs> and so you could just have a whole bunch of masked dudes attacking again completely shocked that these are quote-unquote people yeah that they're depersonalized we didn't assume that these are the townspeople of silent hill i do think they are the ones that burned up but i don't know it gets so muddy towards the end i don't even want to try and untangle it but yeah they are stuck in this limbo where they continue to live out their lives as if 
nothing ever happened, as if there never was the 1974 fire, and they're just afraid of what the darkness will do to them. We'll find out that they have to run from this grand hotel and seek shelter in the church because literally dark spreads like a ooze all over everything and wallpaper peels and ash. Whenever the ash starts floating upward, you know something awful is about to happen. Well, yeah, you just got real close to unraveling the entire story there, Stuart. These people are dead. They did die in the fire. And they are literally caught in limbo. Are they? Yeah. What they're trying to do is make a sacrifice to hell so they can go to heaven, not realizing that that door has been shut. They are in their own limbo hell. Is it? I got none of this out of this movie. I didn't get that second part. I didn't know what they hoped to accomplish. But yes, this felt very much like a land of the dead where they were still processing their dramas of the living. But then we'll talk about Dahlia, but she remains dead, but doesn't go with them and whatever. The point is we have two mortals that are we're hoping to find their way back with Sharon, who we've had no clue of. We realize now, every time we've seen a little girl, it has not been Sharon. It has been her twin, Alyssa, this maybe wrongly persecuted little witch, who we will find out was semi-consensually given to the hotel staff to burn. Like, that is where they tried to burn her, in the Grand Hotel. Like... In the ballroom? Like, is there a room for that? Yeah, it's the room behind the painting. They find it not by trying to move the painting. I always thought this was a little rude of Rose. If she sees a painting as like, let me cut it open to find the door behind it. Couldn't you just try lifting the frame, moving it? <laughs> I, I Maybe I'm just a little sensitive because of what Banksy did recently. But come on, do you got to shred the art? <laughs> yeah, it's an art of a witch burning. So like if you're trying to hide your secret room where you burn witches, maybe, I don't know, <laughs> a nice landscape might be a better cover story. <laughs> But room 111, that was where it happened. They actually rented a hotel room and like, we're going to burn her here. The hotel staff didn't have nothing to say about that. I kind of assumed that the hotel was in on it. I, I got a kind of a overlook view out of this hotel. Again, there are cracks that are really starting to appear in the logic of this. If you're going to burn a witch, we all know you take it to the town square and you do it right there in public or in a courtroom. Like the, everyone needs to participate. It needs to be a mob mentality that persecutes a small child. But the way they have it here, it's like she got raped by the janitor. Her mom like went to go get help and they were like, okay, well, let's burn her. Strange. <laughs> and they're like, okay, yeah, sure. She felt guilty about it, but yet she still let it happen. Right. She didn't fight enough. I didn't think she knew until the very end that that's what they were going to do with her. You know what? I don't even know what they were going to do with her. This has become so garbled. But yes, you get the sense that the mom regrets not fighting for her daughter. And that was her sin. Not that she ever was going to strike a match and participate in her immolation. The way I took it, and this movie goes beyond nebulous into pissing me off, confusing. I thought she was like, okay, here, take my daughter if you think it's best. And then really just regretted it as she saw them start to burn her. Right. And so this is where we meet Christabella. And I just kept worrying about like the hairstylist on this movie. That's probably where all the money went. It was like, we need more wigs, <laughs> crazier locks. All the women characters here, they need to be hair done by hurricane. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> but Christabella is like, oh, yes, we know where the beast lives. And it's in another room in some 
some other building. And this is always fun in a video game. You want to have an expansive world where there's so much to every nook and cranny you want to look into. For a movie, it's like, well, couldn't we have just made it the hotel? Like, do we have to go somewhere else? Do we have to have such a lingering, dawdling narrative? Yeah, it gets a little confusing because they're not just talking about another room somewhere else. They're talking about another realm inside of this realm, you know, to get to where she's going. She has to go through the fire pit and get to what used to be the hospital or somebody's memory of the hospital. Yeah, I didn't know why there were nurses there that were dancing, but the nurses, I thought, were representative of nurses who cared for Alyssa after she was saved from the burning, which is why we have that flashback of the nurse who's sort of trying to help, but not enough. I think you're right, but that makes even less sense. So, okay, so we're in a hotel. We rented room 111. We're going to burn Alyssa here on the mattress and maybe watch some HBO. And let's hope this room isn't right above that coal mine because that could be bad. <laughs> and she basically third degree burns all over her body. And so then they call the ambulance. And she's taken to like a burn unit and has lived there for 30 years? Yes. And she's mad at the nurse because she looked inside the burn tent and made a face. And so she's going to tear off the face of every nurse that ever worked for her because they were repulsed. Does she think she looks good? <laughs> Anyone could understand if the skin has been burned off my body, people are going to be repulsed. That's not a mark on your character. That's them having empathy with how bad things have gotten for you. But that is nonetheless what happens. Here's what confuses the shit out of me is there's like three Alyssa's running around, right? You got one who's the little girl phantom that makes cars run off the road and makes roads go down dark alleys. And then you've got Sharon, who's the reincarnated little girl. But then you've got Alyssa, the old woman, who's still alive 30 years later and still in a burn unit. Where? In the hellhole. That's where I think this is, gets confusing. Yeah. The real Alyssa that was burned has been contained in that hellhole, but her powers have been creating all of this chaos in this limbo. The main Puritan lady has figured it out that she needs the other half of Alyssa, which is Rose, to be sacrificed to finish the entire job and bring their town back away from the darkness. So Christabella thinks burning Sharon will fix the town? Yes, it'll beat the darkness, which is being created by Alyssa from inside of the hellhole. Okay, and see, here I was thinking the darkness was the thing that was always assailing the town and knocked up Dahlia and created Alyssa. The whole darkness, the whole haunting of the town, all that stuff is Alyssa's living nightmare. But the town has been fighting witches for centuries, it said. Their forefathers have been doing it quite a while. And I assume, you know, again, you could make the case that they were misguided and it was like Salem and innocent people were dying. Or you could say that this town has always been assaulted by evil forces and maybe Alyssa is the devil's seed. She's certainly looking like it now. And okay, she didn't quite die in the fire that they set for her. Who is taking care of her? nurses that she resents and so she disfigures and they can only move when they hear something yeah that's where it like you said it, it unravels it, it looks cool in a game it looks cool in a movie but really no reason given 
Yeah, I love it. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's a beautiful scene when Rose has to work her way through this throng of scary nurses who, like, if you touch them or if they sense that you're coming, they're blind. So all they can do is swipe in the, the dark. They end up slicing each other's throats. It's a wonderful realized vision, but I just don't see that it represents any hell a burn victim might feel about their caretakers if indeed they are taking care of them. Unless it's a vanity thing, you know, if she's being vain about her looks being burnt up and her caretakers cannot see her, smell her, or sense her, maybe that's where they're drawing it from. That's the only thing I can figure out. Okay, maybe that's what it is, but eventually Rose will reach this room and get this big data dump about how she is going to fulfill Alyssa's plan to step into the church. She's not allowed to go into the church, and I guess they're not allowed to come into her hospital ward, and so they've been fighting each other in close proximity, but the mechanics of when darkness can come and when they can strike back are not clear, but what we know is evil Alyssa has gone into Rose's body, possesses her now, and she's going to go and both save Sharon, her real adopted child who is good, and she's going to kill as many of Christabella's throng as she possibly can. I'm so lost while watching the movie this time. All I get is Christabella bad, mainly because it's played by Alice Krieg, who is just playing it primeval. She was the Borg Queen, among many other villains. Yeah, I know her from Thor. She was the doctor in Thor The Dark World. And oh, yeah. So I was watching this, and she comes on. I'm like, oh, that's Alice Krieg. And Marjorie just looks at me like, who? Alice Krieg, she was in Thor. I got her autograph at a horror con once. That's all I can say. So, <laughs> but yeah, she is the Borg Queen primarily. And she's got a whole cult of people for a town that seemed pretty dead empty. Yes. When they all reached to the church, all of a sudden I'm like, shit, where have these people been hiding? And then I know that whatever Rose is doing is supposedly for the good of the child and that they're talking about this good Alessa versus this bad Alessa, but I can't follow how anything happened. They are just saying gobbledygook. Here's the thing. When everything's kind of intuitive and you're building the movie in your mind and you're watching it and it's going on this long, you think you get it up until the point where you get the climax and then you realize how much you didn't get it or it didn't fulfill what the movie in your head was going to be. But I can tell you for 90 minutes of this, I am on this movie side, even in its weak moments. I'm like, yeah, I, I think this is a really cool atmospheric film and I like it. And then when they got Jodell Ferdland in that, again, that awful wig and she's supposed to be scary and hissing these things about how she's going to make everyone pay. I'm like, this is the worst Children of the Corn movie yet. Yeah. You stayed with it a lot longer than I did. Pretty much the moment Allison Krieg and her cult came in, I realized I was lost as to who these people were and what their motivations were and why they wanted to burn the girl. I'm still not 100% sure why they want to burn the girl to begin with. They weren't in limbo at that time. Yeah, they wanted to originally burn Alessa because they believed she was a witch and during all of this time they've never been shaken of that belief they're kind of right yeah if the <laughs> child is going to come out of the ground with giant barbed wire tentacles and rip people in half i don't know if she's a witch or not but i'll burn her like i don't need to like her i do think they have the right instinct but again this movie's motivations 
these people don't feel like a small town of judgmental witch burning community. It doesn't feel like small town America. That's really part of the problem I'm having is that when they tell me in 1974, they ganged up on a child and tried to burn her hundreds of years after the Salem witch trials. I'm like, this happened in the seventies. Like then they went to the disco. Like this does not feel period right. And they do not feel like small town judges the way that I would have conceived them. And so I just don't think that this storyline about who was right to do what to a child in 1974 makes a whole lot of sense. This should have been set hundreds of years before that if it was going to have any weight at all with as a witch hunt. I don't know. I mean, like you mentioned, Children of the Corn. In small town America... I could still see a witch hunt happening in the early 70s. You can imagine in 1974, a community that has all of these, it it has enough civilization to have all of these stores and all of these people decide we don't like single mothers and we're going to take her raped child to a hotel and put her in a pot of burning coals. Have you ever been to Utah? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you got me there. Again, I try to meet the movie wherever it wants to go, but this is just too far to ask that this is the kind of movie where it all makes sense at the end and that we're rooting for this child to get her vengeance on these people. I just want Rose to get away with Sharon because they're the only likable people still alive and the cop got tied up to a ladder and was had her flesh flayed off. Yeah, this end gets confusing, it gets talky, it gets overly (laughs) action-packed. It kind of breaks the stylization that we've grown accustomed to. Like, the 3D barbed wire flying all over the place starts feeling really hokey. And this is where I'm kind of jumping off the ladder and thinking, all right, whatever, just wrap it up already. In my memory, it was her hair. Because, you know, there were so many of those Japanese horror movies. The girls always had that stringy hair. I'm like, yes. I think she comes out of the ground and her hair beats like Willow or something. Like, I whip my hair back and forth and tear you in half. It's just such an absurd image. And it doesn't feel epic. It feels stupid. And up to this point, I felt like all of the imagery was on point. And now everything is stupid. And... <laughs> It's hard. It's hard when you're really rooting for a movie and to have it fail you this badly at the end. What do you do? I don't know. Yeah, I still say it's a good looking movie, but I watched it twice for this review and I still had to go to a wiki to try to explain to me how everybody is related and what their individual goals were. It is really poor storytelling that I lay completely at the feet of Christoph Gans. I mean, you could, I, if you've got to fillet somebody, I guess the director always gets the credit and they always get the blame, but would there be an explanation that would make you happy? Like if they had written it better and you understood all the relationships, I would still hate this because this is really stupid to think in 1974, a bunch of witch hunters took a rape kid into a hotel room and threw her in a pot <laughs> and then put her in a burn tent for 30 more years. And she just sat there. She's completely evil. She can create barbed wire attacks out of air. But yeah, I'm just going to stay in this tent for 30 years. Yeah, I just... (laughs) Presumably, she could only be strong enough to fight back against them when Sharon came. But then why break off Sharon in the first place? You were the one that said, I want to take my best 
self, some kind of Oprah speak here, but (laughs) take your best self, rip it out, turn it into a little orphan baby and throw it presumably with barbed wire tentacles at an orphanage and maybe some privileged couple in Ohio will adopt it. (laughs) <laughs> but only for 11 years and then i'm going to start calling you back and... <laughs> I, uh... <laughs> yeah it, it melts into a big mess here here's the absolute worst part our protagonist of this story is rose who is completely fucking meaningless she accomplishes nothing she's our point of view character as this crazy confusing narrative unfolds But Rose is not a part of it at all. It's merely her daughter. Rose's part in this drama ended when she swerved her car and Sharon disappeared. Everything else was pretty much preordained. She runs back and forth. She fights some demons. The police officer sacrifices herself so Sharon can ride an elevator down to find Alyssa. But I don't see her as having an arc or having really much of any importance. And I think that's a common mistake because she's the character you would play in a game. And so you don't spend a lot of time creating elements for that character. That character is you and you are passive and you are just going around trying to find out what the story is that doesn't involve you. They try to bring her here in the end because she's possessed. And this is where she dies, is that she's the one that walks up to Christabella and says, oh, no, you didn't. And Christabella pulls out a knife and stabs her and says, oh, yes, I did. And I think that's why she can't come back. I think that that's why we have this epilogue in which she and the child get back into the SUV, try to drive back to Ohio, but can't get out of this fog and remain in another dimension. It's because Christabella killed her. And so she is dead. Yeah, you guys really just made me think about this movie in a different light. I think it would have played better if our point of view character would have been Sybil, the cop. From the time the crash happened, Rose should have disappeared along with the child. And now Sybil is on this journey trying to find out what happened to both of these people. Yeah, I mean, I think it would have been better if we didn't have children that were split up between pure evil and pure goodness. like that. (laughs) That's a bridge too far. So awful. (laughs) But you're right. If the survivors of the coal fire lived in the neighboring town, it would make sense to start in the neighboring town and have someone for some reason come to Silent Hill. And that is a story that has uh, organic flow to it. But yeah, they were always setting me up for heartbreak and you can complain, it's confusing, I don't understand it. That's a gift. Because if you were to understand it, you'd hate it. I hate it because I can't understand it. And what I do understand of it is fucking stupid. But you know what? David Lynch, you don't understand things and they still have the power to scare you. But once you explain everything away, horribly dissatisfying storylines. And I think, again, I want to shut these doors. I don't want to ask why. I just want to appreciate the imagery that this movie gave me because that's all it has to give. And then this ending, I mean, we didn't talk too much about Sean Bean and Gucci and their little subplot of trying to investigate and Gucci taking part in the cover-up. I mean, Gucci kind of knows what's going on. Yeah, he was living in the town when it happened, and so he has the cover-up. I was at college, I didn't know they were going to take this little girl and burn her in the hotel room. But yeah, he, he has scars on his hands, and he knew that they had mistreated her, and chose to live in close proximity he's just as haunted by it as anyone else here as i understood it he helped dahlia 
rescue her from the fire, right? He was one of the ones who started the coal fire by accident. Yeah, that's how his hands were burned, because he reached to open the doors with the metal handles, and that's how his palms became burned. But the coal fire is... Did Alyssa set it, or did he create it by allowing her to escape? Or does it matter? Don't know if it matters, and I don't believe it was answered. Yeah. Somehow, because she wasn't burned right, the coal fire began. <laughs> That's all I can tell you. I guess it's more dramatically satisfying than, oops, we were burning some trash and we it got out of hand. The true story. <laughs> Actually, I think that's what they would tell you. We were burning some trash, this witch. <laughs> I do like the scene where Alyssa comes into her own. When the razor wire starts flying and everybody who never should have been in this movie in the first place is taken out, it still looks good and is kind of satisfying to see them all go down so easy. It makes me wonder again, like you said, Stuart, why did Alyssa send away the part of herself that apparently was powerful? But it is nice to see Alyssa take control, put the smack down, and yeah, they now she and Rose are trapped in this foggy dimension, and Sean Bean is left alone. Well, from the character's perspective, they don't know that. They think they're coming home. They think that they're back in their car, driving back home to Sean Bean, and we think that's what's happening too, because we watch them go into the house and sit down, and then we realize that Sean Bean heard something but did not see them. Well, they should have noticed that the fog hasn't lifted. I mean, that's a telltale sign. We're hundreds of miles away from the coal fire, and the ash is still coming down. <laughs> yeah, it was a twist that you could see coming from the second they started setting it up, but yes. So, Justin Stewart, do you recommend Silent Hill? Justin. This is tricky. I mean, sitting here, we talked about how good-looking this movie was, and the atmosphere that it set early on. I was pulled in. I was given hope that I didn't think I was going to have coming into this movie. So to have that pulled away midway through and then wrapped around me and thrown into a pit of fire at, by the end, it makes it that much more bitter going down. If this movie would have been middling and, you know, just kind of boring from the get-go, I probably wouldn't feel so betrayed by what they set up. So not being a fan of the game, there's really nothing here visually for me to be like, well, at least they did this and they showed me Pyramid Head Guy and stuff like that. I'm not taking any of that stuff as a fan and giving the rest of the movie a mulligan because of it. Maybe if I had played the game, I could do that. But at the end of the day, what I watched was a half hour of a movie that had a good setup and then an hour and a half of just kind of boring jibber jabber that kind of fizzles out. So yeah, it's not recommend. It's not a complete garbage fire, but I won't be popping it back in. Stuart. And for me, it's such a photo finish decision. I don't know. I loved the first hour so much. I don't want to let it go. Even though I acknowledge it's just all atmosphere. It's the easy part. Because all you got to do is just tease things. The real talent comes when there's payoff. When you say, and this is why it is so. And this movie is horrible at that game. It is great with the puzzles. It is bad with the resolution. I think... Yeah, why not? I'm going to err on the side of mercy and give it a mild green because of its technical prowess. Because if you like the game, it feels like the game come to life. 
And that's the reason to see it. Not because of the stupid plot that gets itself tied up in barbed wire and goes absolutely to hell in the end. I just can't tell you how much I hated seeing that small child try and hiss and be the evil one at the end of the film. So it says, at least modulator voice, right? Like this has now become a high school play of the ring. It's just so bad at the end. But if I were to count the minutes that I enjoyed myself and compared it to the minutes where I hated it, it would be a lot more enjoyment than hate. And so I'll be generous. I know it's bad. It probably doesn't deserve it, but I will say mild recommend for the adaptation of Silent Hill from video game to screen. And I get where you're coming from, Stuart. Part of me is flabbergasted that you'd let this movie slide when it is so obviously narratively disappointing. Mm, Yeah, no argument. But when I was really thinking about it, I'm like, It falls apart, I think, a little bit later than Justin said it did. I don't think it's 30 minutes in. When Dahlia's wandering around, I'm okay. When Alice Krieg shows up, and I'm trying to figure out, are these all the same woman in different forms? What the hell's going on? Same wig. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was actually possibly the same actress in different wigs. I think it just goes to shit. But it looks so much more professional than the majority of movies we've seen. And I feel like I'm being kinder to it for the reasons you told me I shouldn't have given recommends to some of the films that I did, like Tekken, and you said that I'm just being too kind because we've been wallowing in this shit. And I almost made that mistake here, is that, well, it looks good, with the exception of the obvious CGI, I feel like it's proficient, If this were a silent movie, I think it was really scary. It does have a Rosemary's Baby kind of look, especially when we start dealing with nuns in the orphanage. But no, it really pissed me off in how unnecessarily complicated the resolution of this is. You say it's an adaptation of the game, but the game is a lot simpler in terms of plot, in terms of character, than this is. Yes, more characters do show up in the game than just our main character, but you don't have a full cult that's trying to burn people in hotel rooms and starting coal fires and things. You do have the magical realism, which I'm going to chalk up to Japanese mysticism and anime influences of the baby splitting itself in two, but at least you don't have an adult version also floating around here and merging together. It's a recommend for the game but it's a weak not recommend for this movie it just doesn't have enough going for it this is still one of the best you gotta (laughs) give it that red arrow it may be but it is still in the top five best video game adaptations yeah that is the truly sad fact And, you know, I'm going to throw this out, too. I mean, you know, I think what it did right, that Resident Evil, you know, its crutch was, well, we'll just go to Kung Fu and heavy firepower. I appreciated that it gave so much to the art direction. Again, silent and slow. That is not something you associate with video games or really necessarily horror movies. And I do think that this movie created a noble tone, even though it created a shit story. Yeah, so it's probably the closest thing that, we're going to get to all almost recommending so far. Yeah, well, I did. I'm tipping it green, but I think we're all saying the same thing, honestly. Whatever the color is, we all saw the same movie. And so all I can hope is is that maybe it'll improve with the sequel. I'm somewhat hopeful. Here's what I can say is 
I've never seen the sequel. No, me either. I knew it came out, but I was so disappointed in this for the first time I saw it back in 07. There was nothing to make me either want to pick up the game or race out to see another one of the movies. So I'm curious, though. It's 3D. Could it be better than the original? I'm going to bet that they'll simplify it. I know they're picking up the same story because I saw... What? No way. See, I would just assume you'd pick new characters. Silent Hill 2, the video game's new characters. They're not going to go back to Alyssa and all of that shit, right? Well, that's the only thing I really know about this movie going in is from when I was just looking at the discs and buying them. Radha Mitchell and Sean Bean are back. What? Whoa. Interesting. All right, so maybe it's not going to get better. It's just going to get more convoluted. (laughs) I was going to say, after all these sequels, I'm always impressed when they're like, oh, wow, they acknowledged the first movie existed. This is one I'm not sure that I want more story with these characters. Yeah, I definitely felt like the story was overdone. I don't need any more on this, but I guess I'm getting it next week. Meanwhile, if you want more Dancing Ghouls, we got the Suspiria remake this Friday for Silver Level Donors. It is the conclusion, what we've been building to, and really what I've been waiting all year to see is this remake of Suspiria that looks incredible. It is the last show in our Silver Level Donation series, so for those of you who like to wait until you can get the whole series at once, you can hear our three reviews of the Dario Argento original Three Mothers trilogy, plus the review of Phenomena, also known as Creepers, a movie that was supposed to be a Three Mothers film and wasn't, and ending with the remake of Suspiria here. And then next week, we start our Gold Level series. It's weird, we did Platinum earlier, But Gold Level starts next week. Bruce Willis, Haley Joel Osment, Donnie Wahlberg, The Sixth Sense. Ooh, what a twist. (laughs) I always loved that combat. (laughs) Robot chicken. Yep. (laughs) What a twist. (laughs) And if you can't donate we completely understand there are other ways you can help this show out you can tell your friends to give us a listen as we continue in the arcade in two weeks we're going to perhaps the front of the arcade the you know more glorified game that you show from the door wreck it ralph technically not an arcade game but arcade ish you know what i've been seeing on the toy shelves they actually did make that game and they have a little miniature version of it you can buy for 20 bucks i might have to pick one of those up before we sit down for that one there's so many more reviews you can tell people about at our website in a couple weeks we're going to be reviewing creed 2 you can hear reviews of every rocky movie including the first creed in our archives Halloween is a much better horror film than Silent Hill, and we just reviewed that new one two weeks ago. You can hear all of the Halloween reviews. Last week, we did Children of the Corn, and you can hear all the Children of the Corn reviews, every Marvel movie, every DC movie, so many movies, not to mention, yes, this arcade ghetto we have plunged ourselves into this year, all at nowplayingpodcast.com. And in addition to telling a friend to listen, we'd love it if you'd head to iTunes, leave us a five-star review. Don't just click the stars, leave a couple of words. It really does help get the word out there about our show. So, Justin Stewart, thank you for joining me. And until we have some revelations, game over. Silent Hill.
These were good people. Most of them. Some of them I'd say deserved it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You're kind of funny. You're pretty fucked up, but I don't know. I, I think you're goofy fun inside. Goofy fun. That'd be nice for a change. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. You burned in the fire that you started and nothing can save you because you're already damned! Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. Another one will come. This is a place of lost souls. Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. There is nothing you can do to save him without damning yourself. I don't care. Just tell me what you know. You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. Why'd you cut off the cards? Look, Chris, that's not going to stop me from taking her there. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. I'm not okay. I need your help. Please, please hurry. You can also join the Now Playing Patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month. Plus, even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our hosts to review. Find the details on our website. I'm trying to help you. Came back! Why? Because I didn't know who I was working for then, but I do now. If you want even more Now Playing reviews, place your order now for the first Now Playing book, Underrated Movies We Recommend. Get reviews of 125 films our hosts love. You can order the book by clicking the banner at the top of our homepage. And anyone's name not found written in the Book of Life, they will be thrown into the lake of fire. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. Do you Facebook nothing like that? Fuck Facebook. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. You created this nightmare. Everyone has a different nightmare in Silent Hill. I am there. Now Playing's video game retrospective series is edited by Arnie. You're in your own Now Playing credits read by Brock. Have you heard a single word I've said? Yeah. Have you heard a single word I've said? The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. You darkened the heart of an innocent, and now you cower in the face of Alessa's revenge. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. What's your definition of justice, huh? Many. 
different forms. Justice, Chris. So you've got mans, gods, and even the devils. Certain forms you just can't control. So I want you to go home now to your nice warm bed and let me deal with this town and what has happened over the last 30 years. Okay? End of story. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Venganza Media Incorporated and may not be used without the expressed written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. You're under arrest. What? You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say what the hell be used against you in a court of law. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2018, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Now, the dream of this life must end. And so, too, must the dreamers within it. For over 30 years, they've lied to their own souls. For 30 years, they've denied their own fate. But now is the end of days, and I am the Reaper. And when she wakes up, Cheryl is missing. Sharon. Sharon is missing. Now that's going to be a problem. (laughs) (laughs) Cheryl will be missing this entire film. Sharon has gone missing. I spent like 18 hours playing with Cheryl, and now I have to remember it's Sharon from a 90-minute movie. Uh, Just for a little bit, then you have to remember it's Alessa. (laughs) It doesn't help that there's Sybil running around here. But Rose escapes the cop and goes to the school looking for Sharon. I wrote that she goes to the school looking for Sybil. I am not having good luck here. Mm. I think it's Evil Stewart that's making Jacob and I suffer through some M night. <laughs> it's sadistic Stewart at the very least. <laughs> <laughs>